Thank you for this opportunity to come before you again, to worship you, to give you honor and glory. And Lord, we want to learn from you so that our words and our actions and what we do reflects you, the mind of Christ, that we come in alignment with what you would have us to do. We thank you, Lord, for every family that's represented here on the line today, every church, every community. We ask you to bless each one of us, build us up, and help us to be those people that you that you purposed for us to be when you need us knit us together in our mother's womb. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in the midst of us. We ask right now that your Holy Spirit would come into this place and teach us, Lord. Speak through me that your people will be edified, encouraged, and inspired. Let your word come forth clearly and powerfully. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Today our word comes from the Old Testament book of Joshua. The Old Testament book of Joshua, chapter 14. Excuse me, chapter 4. Joshua chapter 4, and I'll be reading verses 4 through 7 from the New International Version. Joshua chapter 4, beginning at verse 4. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Our subject today, what do these stones mean? Leaving a legacy leaving a legacy. In this passage of scripture, we find that, well, just prior to this, that Moses is dead and Joshua is now the leader of the Israelites. And his job is to carry the nation of Israel into the promised land. But first, they must cross the Jordan River. Remember when the Israelites first came out of out of Egypt, they had to cross the Red Sea. Now they're entering the promised land, but first they must cross the Jordan River. You know, sometimes we we believe that we prayed for something and the Lord is, is giving us a yes on that thing and we think it's going to be smooth sailing from then on. And usually it is not because we have to put our investment into it. 
The truth is, the harder it is to come by, usually, the more we appreciate it. So we have to be vested. God is not just going to drop it into our hands. We have to put our part into it. God is talking to Joshua at the end of chapter 3, and he says, I'm going to exalt you in the eyes of the people the way I did Moses. And so I'm going to help you. And you will enter the promised land and drive out the people that are there. And so he gives Joshua specific instructions for the people. The first thing he tells them is that the priests carrying the ark, the ark of the covenant. And remember, the ark of the covenant represents the presence of God. It's not an idol. It's not some lucky charm, but it is something that was built according to God's specifications. The things that are in the ark were specified specifically by God. It represents their obedience to God and God's presence with them. So the priests are carrying the ark and Joshua tells, God tells Joshua, who tells the people that the, the, the priests who are carrying the ark are to step into the water first. Now, you must understand that a certain time of year, the Jordan River overflows its banks. And God purposely waited for this time. The Jordan River is overflowing. And they're going to get into the river at its highest stage. So the priests themselves had to, had to have faith for themselves. Sometimes we have to have the faith to step in the water, to take that first step. So they step into the water. And in chapter 3, verse 16, it tells us that the water from upstream stopped flowing and piled up into a great big heap. So the second thing was that the priests carried the ark on into the middle of the Jordan on dry ground. So when they stepped into the river, God stopped the flow and dried up the ground and they walked into the middle of the Jordan River. The third thing was that the whole nation of Israel passed over. In chapter 4, it says there were 40,000 armed men, but we see in, in the book of Numbers that the whole Israelite nation maybe had numbered into the 600,000s of people who crossed the Jordan River on dry land, just like many of their forefathers crossed the Red Sea on dry land. What, he, what God does for others, he'll do for you. He did it for Moses and he did it for Joshua. And then the fourth thing that God told Joshua that he had to relay to the people is that one representative 
from each of the twelve tribes should gather a stone from the middle of the Jordan River where the ark was and carry it to the other side. And then the fifth thing, they set up a memorial with those stones for when their children asked, what do these stones mean? And they could tell them that this was the time when God stepped in and miraculously cut off the waters of the Jordan River so that his people could walk across into the promised land on dry ground. Now this story, and I would say to you, go back, read it, read chapter three, then read chapter four and see the miraculous thing that God did. But the story begs to ask the question to each one of us. Do you have a tradition, a special date, a special place to let your children know about God? Your children, your grandchildren, others around you, things that have the same purpose as the memorial stones. Do you have that? As I began to meditate on this, this passage of scripture and start to thinking about my growing up years, I thought about the fact that for years when I was a, a preteen and a teenager, my mom and dad would wake us up early on Easter morning, and we would drive over to the Jekyll Island Convention Center, and we would participate in the sunrise service that we could see the sun rising over the ocean. And it was so amazing and so touching as we were there with hundreds of other people in the convention center, worshiping God together as the sun rose on Easter sunrise morning. That's one thing. I remember how we used to have a lot of family reunions. My dad was, was the favorite one in the family to hold the family reunion because he just had the, the, the resources to do it and the, the, the land area and everybody just loved it. And we had so much food, but dad would always make sure that he had a preacher. And before we started eating and socializing and gaming and, and enjoying one another, he would have the preacher give a special word to remind us that God comes first in all we do. I thought about our own bringing up of our children, how on Christmas morning before before the kids would unwrap any of their gifts and get anything, any toys from under the tree, we would wake them all up and we would review, we would read, and we would talk about the Christmas story and the gift of Jesus Christ born for us. Traditions, traditions that, that we did, I'm sure you have memories of things, but just in case you don't, 
you can't remember anything, you don't have any ideas about some things that you can do, I have some suggestions. The thing I want you to think about, first of all, is only what we do for God will last. Only what we do for him. So salvation, being born again, that's the first step. That's the first step. So if we're going to leave a legacy of faith behind for our children, we must be born again, and then we must see to it. We must affect the fact that they need to be born again. They need to receive salvation. So we like to give our children, our grandchildren, we like to give them physical, material things. And there's nothing wrong with that. The Bible even speaks about giving an inheritance to your children. But among the things that they inherit from you should be a true faith in God, a saving faith. That's the first thing. And then I read this somewhere a while back and I thought about it, that we each family needs to create a mission statement. And I thought when I first read that I was cor- it was corny. It was a corny idea. Why would you do a mission statement? We're not a business. But then I thought about it as I was reviewing this lesson. And it happened so that I was, I was, I was reading over and I was doing my studying in the den. And God spoke to me and I happened to look up on the wall of the den here in my house. And I remembered that my husband had bought this plaque when we first built this house and we put it up. And this is what it says in big, bold letters. It says, Christ is the head of this house. And in small letters underneath, it says the unseen guest at every meal and the silent listener to every conversation. And I thought, that is our mission statement. And I know that that visiting many people in our congregations over the years, I have seen things like that in their house where people have a, a, a plaque up or a statement or something that says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Something similar. Maybe you don't have a plaque up, but what is your mission statement? What is it that you stand for that you want others to know? Especially those that are in your family that are coming behind, that are watching you. Another thing I heard that I thought was a wonderful idea was to keep a family Bible, and most of us have one. And over the years, I know that was a real important thing in that our forefathers kept a family Bible and put the names of each child in them, and as they got married, and they kept records in them. But also, in addition to that, something else you can do is to allow everyone in the household to underline a favorite passage and write notes and put dates in the margins regarding 
what those verses meant to them. I have a Bible that I've written in notes over the years and put dates of things that happened to me, verses that blessed me. I have one particular Bible that's just for that purpose. And one day I'm going to pass that Bible on to somebody else that I hope will be blessed by it. The fourth thing we can do is speak often about how God is speaking to us through his word. What is the word saying to us that we can encourage someone else with? And lastly, we can tell about how God has worked through us, through our faith. Over the years, we can give our testimony. We can tell our stories of what God has done for us. What do these stones mean? Stones in the Bible here is just a metaphor for the things that you've collected or done that represent the goodness of God in your life. And when you collect these things, when you have them on hand, when you present them, these things are your legacy. We've heard a lot about legacy in the news recently with Serena Williams retiring. And we know of the impact that she had on the sport of tennis, her legacy as a black female athlete and a change agent for good in our world. And we've heard about the legacy and the impact of the 70 year reign of Queen Elizabeth over the United Kingdom, their legacy. But what about your legacy? What are you leaving behind as a memorial to your life when your children and grandchildren ask, what do these stones mean? What will your children tell them? Remember, only what you do for God will last. So before you do anything else, make sure what you're doing is for God Almighty. God bless you. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word and for reminding us that we need to make an impact in our world that lives beyond us. And that impact must be our stand for you, Lord. As we lay our treasures in heaven, Help us to lead the way for others to follow. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.